Our speaker this morning is John Peterson. Uh, John is just a dear friend. He's a mentor. He's a godfather in the 24-7 movement. Uh, He spent many years traveling all around the world, visiting communities like ours, stirring them up, encouraging them. He's uh, one of the two people who we very particularly opened ourselves to as a community and said, would you speak in to us? So he regularly comes in, meets with the leadership, asks us awkward questions, prophesies, challenges, gets his Bible out. Uh, and uh, we're just so grateful to John. Uh, he's married to Mindy. He's got about 300 grandchildren these days. Uh, he lives in Castle Rock, uh, in uh, Denver, just on the outskirts of Denver, in, in, in Colorado. And uh, John has just um, been faithful and served the Lord all his life. He's just always said yes to God. And I think he's a good example of what happens when you do that, that God makes your life the most wonderful adventure. And you get to live your life in a way that blesses and changes the lives of others. And uh, so John's a man of prayer. He's brilliant at just getting alongside people. Uh, He's uh, probably had uh, people sort of coming up to him and opening their hearts to him more often than Oprah Winfrey. He's that kind of guy. He gets on an aeroplane, wants his space, and the person next to him says, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but that's that's John. And uh, we just uh, love him dearly. So let's um, welcome him. Let's um, open our hearts to receive, not just from John, but through John, from the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's welcome John, shall we? Oh, so fun. My wife and I were laying in bed the other night. We were just thinking about how unfair it is to be having so much fun at the age of 63. She said, you have fun, don't you? I said, oh, I have fun. I said, look at you. You're running off to Disneyland all the time. Uh, she's a flight attendant. She flies wherever, forever, four cities a day, three days a week. She takes our grandkids everywhere. We're blessed with a beautiful place to live. We overlook the Rocky Mountains. Um, our kids are walking with God. Um, we have friends all over the world. And you look back on your life and you say, how did this happen? You know, How is it? that the blessing of God is so incredible to two little weasels who just had no clue what was going on when they fell in love in 1972. So grateful to God. You know, I've learned over the years uh, a few things. One is that there's absolutely no use trying to figure out what your life is going to look like in the future. Any of you this morning that are sweating the future and trying to figure it out, give up right now. Surrender. I love that. Come out of the saloon with your hands up. (laughs) Seriously, if you could figure it out, you wouldn't need the Lord. If you figure it out, you would have absolutely no need for a Savior who saves, a Redeemer who redeems, a King who rules. You would absolutely have no need for that. So give it up and rest in your Father's arms. Amen? It's a lot more fun. A lot safer. It's a lot warmer. A lot less wind and cold out there in his arms. I bring you greetings from some saints. Uh, I bring you this greeting from a whole new bevy of saints in Japan. We've got 24-7 prayer starting to kind of circle the country a little bit down there. Uh, we've come in just before and now a lot after the earthquake and the tidal wave that came through and devastated the place. 
Uh, we're now officially this week, looks like we're looking at a piece of property in one of the villages that was decimated. And we're going to be, oh, we're trusting the Lord to be able to buy. We have the money actually to buy. We just need the government to release the land. The Lord has provided the money to put on 3,000 square meters of greenhouses for hydroponic growing or aquaponic growth, which is combining fish who poop, whose poop gets cycled up into the, the uh, veg, veggie trays and grows vegetables. We can turn a head of lettuce in 30 days. We discovered that from the University of Tel Aviv that they're now um, dealing with how to grow hydroponically, how to grow seaweed. So because of the tsunami, all the seaweed uh, industry was decimated. So we think we're going to be able to go back in and begin growing vegetables for the village and enough to sell to the surrounding villages and to begin to get the seaweed production going again, plus fish, because they're very suspicious of the fish off the coast right now just because of the nuclear waste that's gone into the ocean. Actually, the levels are very low, but, but psychologically people are afraid of getting back into it. So as part of the aquaponics project, we're planning a church. So we, we get to be the ones first back into the village. We get to receive all the new people coming in to resettle the village. And we get to say, we have some work and some jobs that we can provide. Is there anything we can do for you? We become the community welcome wagon center. You know, come on in, join us. We're here to bless you and welcome you to this little beautiful village. So we've got a team of eight people being trained to move into Japan full time. Um, half of them speak fluent Japanese. The other half are learning it right now. Most of them are based out of Kansas City. Greetings from Kansas City. The church has gone insane there, the boiler room. Uh, they're going to rename themselves this year. We're pretty close to coming up with a new name. We need a new place. We're out of space. We're growing. We're exploding. Uh, collectives are starting. Uh, leaders are being developed. A uh, whole new biblical training is going on. It's really exciting stuff. I just got back from there last week. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Believer's Church is one of our beautiful sister churches in the Lord. I want to tell you, I believe in the Boiler Room Network. I believe in what God is doing through the reimagining of new forms of family community all over the world. And there's a little deconstruction of the church. There's a little reconstruction of the new forms of church. Here's the deal, though. We've got to love the whole church, right? Because you cannot change what you do not love. I've watched people leave the church to do something new and fresh and different, and they become old and stale and boring later on. Because you've got to love the bride, Probably one of the great part of my story is my journey into loving the church. It's just never, it never goes away. I can't get rid of it. I've tried to get rid of the church of God for so long that I've given up. I've had my own little surrender thing going on with this love affair with the church. It's kind of a love-hate deal. When you say church, it conjures up very different things for very different people, depending on your experience and your theology and your cultural setting, you know, say church in Japan, or you say church in Macedonia, they think, you know, Macedonian Orthodox Church. If you say church in Syria, you know, some, of, some people think of the ancient church that was there in Damascus, and it's still, it's still prevalent, underground now. One of their, in fact, when Chris Westhoff is with you, she'll probably tell you a little bit about this, but the church in Syria, there's, there's some folks that have remained, and they are faithful to God, and I'm telling you, they're seeing people saved Healed, filled with the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders, angelic visitations. I mean, it is amazing. So when you say church, you have a lot of different, you know, a lot of different ideas. 
Whatever it is, God is restoring his church back to his created purpose and he's releasing her into the earth in a very fresh new way. It's really fun to be part of it, isn't it? We dreamed about you guys years ago. We sat in rooms and said, wouldn't it be great in Guilford to have a hubbub going on? You know the word hubbub? You guys use that term? Might be kind of American. Uh, a, A raucous manifestation of people who love Jesus. A whole bunch of them. Big stuff. So it's, been a, it's a joy to see you guys. It really is. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my airplane now. I'm going to fly at about 40,000 feet. And we're going to jet ourselves across my life, if you will. <laughs> I'm 63 and I have 30, 20 minutes now to share about my 63 years. So I will do so in a very strange and wonderful way. I'm... I'm uh, I had the privilege of being born in Japan. <laughs> I'm speaking to my phone. <laughs> yes, honey, I love you too. See you later, baby. <laughs> you never get to choose where you're born and who you're born to. Just not one of those decisions you get to make. And I was born uh, in Yokohama, Japan, 1952, January 15. I was born uh, into a beautiful couple who were told they could not have children. And uh, my mom made a deal with the Lord and said, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. All that stuff. So I'm going to tell you some really depressing things, if that's okay. I can spend the first part of this just getting really depressing. Are you ready? All right, let's head into some serious, the ministry of depression. Here goes. (laughs) When I was a young dude, I I was the only white-haired kid. Some of you you know the beautiful hair that Danny Gregg has. I've always been jealous of that. Incredible. I used to have hair that color many years ago. So I was in a Japanese village with this towhead, and they used to come up and feel my hair and try to figure out why anybody. About 30,000 people in our town, and I was the only white American kid. Mom and dad were missionaries. Um, during those first five years, I, was, I had some interesting experiences. I was abducted twice, once by a, a Shinto priest, once by a sailor, I was, I had some surgery. I was told that I would never have children. I was, I began, I, I had demonic nightmares from the time I was three years old. Are you depressed yet? Okay. I, I, it was just, I, I was in a culture that was highly demonized. And my house had been dedicated by the Shinto priest before we moved into it. They wouldn't let us move until it was dedicated. From that time on, I had dragon nightmares. <clears throat> I was told, um, I just began to get the feeling that I wasn't safe. I felt like I wasn't safe. I felt like more and more as I grew, I felt I was alone. Mom and Dad moved to Tokyo. Uh, They began to take over the uh, dormitories for the missionary school there in in the Tokyo area. Um, I lived with the kids. My parents lived downstairs alone, and I got the distinct impression that I was alone. I was uncared for. I wasn't really wanted and that if I went away, nobody would miss me. And these messages, I call them false prophets. These false prophets were speaking to me in those early years. You don't get me wrong, I had a great family. I had a great context. I loved a lot of my life. But underneath it, this undercurrent, something was trying to steal my soul and trying to, to wreck the destiny of God that I was later to find out that I actually had in my, in my, my calling from him. So I had surgery. I went in alone uh, into the dorms for 12 years. I was in dormitories. Still, I was alone. 
not wanted, separated. Then I got the message that I was weird. My dad used to say, if everyone went left, you'd go right. Now I realize he was prophesying. <laughs> I don't think he meant it as a prophecy. I love going left when everyone's going right. What's wrong with that? You just got to have the right spirit when you do it, right? You can't do it in order to be different. But you have to be profoundly what God's called you to be. And I found that God was just setting me up on a journey to go kind of a different direction. I didn't believe anything I was told. I had to challenge it. If someone said, this is true about God or the Holy Spirit or Jesus, I would challenge it. And I would say, wait a minute. Where do we get that from? This doesn't seem to be working for you guys. So I got labeled as the weird guy who's off going in the wrong direction. I came into my high school years and I realized that I had um, the inability to speak in front of people. I got into speech class and I would literally break out in hives trying to give a speech. I would clam up. Nothing would come out of my mouth. I had a speech impediment. Um, They have terms for that now. I can't remember what it is. Uh, Anyone know this? It's when you're unable to get out of your mouth. I wrote it down once. I read it in a book I was reading, a fiction, one of my novels. They make fun of the novels I read around here. British naval history. Hmm? And the other message I got during those impediment years of speech was you're stupid. Highly active uh, educated missionaries. Their kids were all super smart. And I just felt stupid in the middle of all of them. I'm really dumb. And that's the message I got. So I left Japan thinking, I'm alone, I'm stupid, and I'm weird. I truly believed it. And right near the end, I came to the Lord, but I'll tell you about that in just a little bit. I came to the States. I was a little bit um, unsure what to do. I didn't feel American. Uh, I, didn't, I wasn't Japanese, and I wasn't American. I was stuck there with my best friend, Todd. We go to uni together uh, that first year. I found myself in the Jesus movement. Um, spectacular arrangement from the Lord in the middle of all of this Jesus stuff that was going on. But I, I, I began to realize I am not only alone, I'm not only lost, I'm really on my own. And I began to realize that what everything I've been taught needed to be challenged, and I couldn't. I couldn't move forward with a sense of confidence. Around 12 years old, I had started experiencing depression, and it began to grow. By the time I get to the States, I was really depressed. I'd go to class, I'd run back home, and I would just sit there and say, what's the purpose of all this? I didn't want to make friends. I didn't like anybody. I wasn't particularly friendly. God was doing a number of my heart, though, under the underground. I experienced a series of failures. The best thing I did was get married to my wife, Minnie, in those days. It was a great gift of grace. Went into ministry right away. I was planting churches at 23 years old. Um, I was told for four years in a row I was kicked out of four ministries. One guy actually told me I had no measurable spiritual gifts. My pastor, and I was a associate pastor. How is that possible that someone has no measurable spiritual gifts? I said, like, Zero? You know, <laughs> zilch, nada, nothing? No. No, I've observed you for nine months and I'm convinced you have no measurable spiritual gifts. I said, thank you very much for that ministry of encouragement. <laughs> so I left. 21 days later, I checked out of the thing with my last paycheck. He said, don't need to go paint houses. He said, that's a good idea for you. Great, thank you so much. Um, 
the next few years were just a series of the goodness of God, but also just a lot of failures. And that message of you're alone, you're worthless, you'll never measure up, has been confirmed even by pastors. So <laughs> what's the point? So I was sitting in the car one day and I resigned. I said to the Lord, that's it, I resign. Don't call me again, this is spiritual abuse. I don't, <laughs> I don't appreciate all this, setting me up, getting my hope up, and then psh, kicking me again. Of course, it was all God's fault. When you don't know who you are in Christ, when you're not sure of his affection for you, you will turn on him and he becomes your problem. Then what does he do? You become become his goal. And he puts his love bullseye on you and he will not let you go. It's very attractive to God when people start resisting him. It's just attractive. At one level, he won't interfere, but will he put pressure? Absolutely. It's called love. It's the pressure of God loving you into his purposes for you. It's the most beautiful thing. So I resigned. I told the Lord, don't call me. I walked into the meeting that very night, um, forced, coerced by my wife. You will go to a meeting. I said, I just resigned. I told God, forget it. I'm not going to a bunch of Christian charismatic meetings. I'm sick and tired of these people smiling a lot. And acting happy. And doing the shandalamahukia thing. I'm done with all that. So here comes, here comes my wife smiling. She's so cute. She's irresistible. I go to the meeting. Guy looks at me in the middle of the meeting. Says, oh, wow, amazing. You were told you had no measurable spiritual gifts. Today. You were told you had 21 days to get out of the office. Furthermore, in the car on the way home, you resigned. You tell the Lord, don't call you again. Sorry, resignation not received. (laughs) On the sixth day, you're going to get a phone call from the throne room of heaven, and you're going to be told what your next assignment from God is. Forget the whole resignation thing. It's over. I have never wanted to get lower on a floor in my life. I hit the deck face down, and I wailed. I just said, why don't you leave me alone? I can't get away from you no matter what I try. David said, if I go to heaven, he's there. If I go to hell, he's there. Wherever I go, there he is. Sick and tired of you showing up wherever I am, interrupting my own self-made plans. He refuses because he loves us so much. Hey, guys. (laughs) Amen. When redemption sets in, all hell breaks loose. All hell. I, uh, <laughs> I went to a camp back in Japan that last year. I'm going to get redemptive now. Is that all right? Enough depression. Um, I went to a camp with my 10 of my buddies, and the mission of this camp, sweet thing, <laughs> was to blow up the girls' dorm. We had firecrackers from China that had enough megaton weight, weight megatonnage to do major damage to the, to the souls and the hearts of these beautiful girls that were in our classes. And we had lined them up like dynamite, you know, underneath their wooden homes. And we were going to light these things and scare the girls. <laughs> that was my sole reason for going to a one-week camp on the coast of Japan in 1969. <laughs> I was so I, I had selected my fireworks with great care. 
I had recruited my cronies, my partners in crime. We were going to have a fantastic time. We were interrupted on the last night of camp, just when we were going to set it off, by a message by some guy who just looked ridiculous, who had no business speaking, and I thought, who is this idiot? He doesn't know anything. I, I have never felt the conviction of God like I did that night. It's like I got smacked by God. Bam! And I look at my buds, and they're all kind of dazed, and we went back to our cabin. By the end of the night, a storm had blown through the area, a massive North Japan Sea storm, and it just terrorized the coast, and wind was going everywhere, and our little cabin was rattling around, and by daylight, all ten of us had come to the Lord, and all ten of us had made a covenant to go back to our school and make a difference. Never blew up the girls' dorms. I still regret that, actually. (laughs) Came to L.A., found myself in the middle of the Jesus movement. I found myself hungering for the Holy Spirit. I I was told the Holy Spirit was no longer any part of the equation. That's how I grew up. Apostolic age is over. When the perfect has come, that which is in part should be done away. It's now done away because the perfect is the word of God. We don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. I thought, what? We don't need the Holy Spirit. If anyone needed the Holy Spirit, it was that community of missionaries in Japan. And I was mad at them. Fruitcakes. What's wrong with those people? Trying to do church planting without the Holy Ghost? What on earth is that all about? So as a little guy, I used to go to their conferences every summer. My dad was the president of the organization of the foreign mission boards. And I would stand outside with my buddies, and we would sell Coke and Fanta and, and Japanese rice crackers called Senbei. And we'd make money off those missionaries so we could buy our bicycles. Yes, sir, Bob. And that's where I developed my anger towards the missionary community, watching them fight with each other. Now they're telling me there's no Holy Spirit needed. I'm really ticked off. When the Holy Spirit hits you, you can't be ticked off at too many people. Have you noticed that? Let it out, bro. Let it rip. When people hold sneezes in, I get worried about it. I mean, I'm afraid something's going to come out their ears or something. <laughs> and Dave's head gets in a little bit red, you know, when, he, when he's sneezing. I got, I got plastered. My roommate was with me. He wanted the Holy Ghost. I want everything. I want tongues. I want signs and wonders. I want angelic visitations. I thought, I don't want any of that stuff. I just want something from the Lord. I need to know that this depression I have can be eradicated, that he can lift me, he can love me. I just, I want the haze gone. So he's waiting. We're in a circle at the end of the service. They're laying hands on everybody. These young hippies are praying for everybody. It was hilarious. Big long-haired dudes, you know, with their robes and everything. And they're praying over people and think people are doing stuff. And I thought, I kept saying to the Lord, all I want is this bread. I don't want a stone. You promised me if I asked for this, you'd give me this. I don't want the false stuff. When you're raised believing that some of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is of the devil, it's kind of hard to get around that unless the Lord himself breaks through. Amen? <laughs> so Dan got, my roommate got nothing. They prayed on him, and he looked so forlorn. He looked so depressed. I said, what's wrong? I said, nothing. I'm getting nothing. I said, hang on, dude. It's not about the manifestations. Well, I wanted one. I'm, I'm going to get one. So they put their hands on me. They pray for me. It was like oil hit my head and went clear down to my toes. This is before the laughing movement of the 1980s. I started laughing like a fool. I was a forerunner of the laughing movement. 1972. Never forget it. 
bam, I get hit with this oily thing. It goes down to my I start laughing. I can't sit down. They carry me over to the chairs because I'm so weak. And for 30 minutes, I sat there laughing like an idiot, and my roommate sitting there totally depressed because I'm having a manifestation. (laughs) I was told I could have no kids. I got three kids and nine granddaughters, eight granddaughters, and a grandson. I was told I was alone. I discovered in those years I was not only not alone, I was. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. Till the end of the age. A long time. And then some. It's called eternity. <laughs> Isn't that great? I was told I was weird. Left, right, all that. I had a lady do a, a psychological instrument on me to find out how I took in and gave out information. It's called the SOI, Structure of Intellect. And at the end of it, she said, I bet you think you're stupid. I bet... You have no idea what God's put in you because you've been lied to for so many years. She's a trained psychologist is telling me this. So she gave me the readout of my SOI, and she said, you are in such and such a percentile of North American males. And she said, you need to stop lying to yourself and see how God has created you. And God was just systematically breaking the lies around me by all sorts of weird ways, psychologists and friends and wives and wife. And pastor, <laughs> yes, I believe in the ministry of harems. <laughs> I walked into another meeting by my, my wife's bidding. I had to speak. I couldn't speak. Another guy gets these dilated prophetic eyes going and looks at me. Oh, he says, young man in the very back hiding behind that individual in front of you. It was a strategic move that did not work. He said, start walking forward. I, the minute I hit the thing and started going towards him, there's like 300 full gospel businessmen, insane Pentecostals. And I'm still kind of coming off of my Baptist thing. And I'm walking forward. And he looks at me and says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. The curse is broken from this day forth. You're going to the nations. Get ready. Saddle up your horses, friend. You're gone. I was 23 years old. I thought he was insane. I told the Lord, I'll never be a missionary. Don't even talk to me about it. Been there, done that. My wife had a discussion with me. (laughs) We went to Israel some years later. We were pastoring at a church of hippies in Grants Pass, Oregon. Lord, there's the closest thing I've ever had to the audible voice of God. And we were on the Lebanese fence, the good fence, between Israel and Lebanon. And the Lord said, as we're hearing bombs go off, go back, resign. I'm calling you to the nations. And I look over at my wife, and she's grinning. Uh Uh-oh. She heard the same thing, and she knows she won the war. (laughs) So we get on the bus, and she's grinning. She says, did you hear what I heard? I said, yes, I heard. I think I heard what you heard. We heard what we heard. She said, you're going to be a missionary, aren't you? I said, heck Yes. She said, aha, when we got married, here was the condition. I will not marry you unless you're willing to go to the nations. I thought it was an attack of the enemy. She proved to be right. I hate that when she's right. God is so good, you guys, to take the lies, the false prophets that have been speaking into our lives for so long 
and redeem us into his created purpose that he's seen you to be from the foundation of the earth. There's not one of you outside of that affection. It's not one of you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what sins you've committed. I don't care who you've abused or who's abused you. It absolutely, in the scale of eternity, our God is so great that none of that disqualifies you or gets you off of his love list. None of it. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've believed. I don't care who said what to you. Nothing gets to define you as much as the words and the heart and the spirit of the creator God. Because he's not only a creator, he's a recreator. Right? When we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old stuff is gone. Behold, we become new. I am so grateful. You know, I look back. We were laying in bed again and just kind of rehearsing all the amazing things the Lord did. I learned about my sonship in the 80s and 90s. I learned about the Father heart of God in the 90s. I learned to love the church in the 90s. More than ever, there was a whole bunch of transformational stuff going on with churches around the world. Got involved in all that stuff. At one point, I was in 60 different cities in one year's time. And I was a little frustrated. I thought, is this all there is? You know, is this all there's got to be? And I felt like the Lord said, my church, the way she is, cannot see the dream that she dreams of come true. I'm going to have to change her. I'm going to have to renovate her. Will you be part of it? Is that okay? I'd love to. <laughs> Show me how. What does that look like? Well, these last years have really been a love affair with the body of Christ, the people of God. And I moved from doing a lot of ministry to trying to help others succeed. I'm kind of a, they call me around here, they call me friar. I'm kind of a wandering father. I can't think of a better honor than to be a wandering father. I wandered into my kids' life again after they had children. I'm a father and a grandfather. I have a personal investment in eight little girls. My kids got married in the same year. Three of them. Same year. Within 12 months, I got married. It's an attack on the enemy. <laughs> I, nearly went, I nearly went bankrupt. But I could not have found better mates for my kids. I searched the world over. Way back in Austria, when I first moved to Europe, before our, as we first moved to Amsterdam, I felt so horrible about being a father. I felt like, I'm going to kill these little children. I'm going to wreck them psychologically. I'm still being fathered, and here I am trying to father three little things. And they were two, four, and six. I'm at a YWAM conference. I'm totally unfocused. And I said to Mindy, I nudged her, I said, I'm leaving. I've got to get out of here. I've got to go talk to God about my kids because I think I'm going to ruin them. She said, you're what? What? You're going to ruin your kids? I said, yeah, I've got I've to get something from God. So I found a glacier. It was fantastic. I have this thing about snow and ice. I can find it usually anywhere. I can sniff it. So I went up the Tyrol Mountains, Meyerhof in Austria. I found a little glacier. I sat my rear end down on the glacier, my derriere. And I said to the Lord, here's the deal. I'm going to freeze my butt off. Unless you tell me, or give me a word for each of my kids and tell me what you will do to ensure their future and destiny in you. Because I'm going to mess it up. So he gave me three scriptures, gave me three assurances, gave me three promises. And when my kids were going through all their stuff, I have to say to you, God was faithful not to let me just simply focus on their behavior, but focus on their destiny. So my son fell into all sorts of trouble. 
I could look at him and see what he would be in the spirit. And I'd smile. And he'd say, Dad, stop smiling. I'm sitting here. I'm running amok. I said, I know you're running amok. Good luck with that. You got a big bullseye on you, dude. You're going to get chased down. You're going to get whacked around. And the love of God's going to overwhelm you and overcome you and take you down and make you feel stupid. It's exactly what he did. In the 24 hours, after five years of running away from God, God grabbed my son, nailed him to the ground, wrestled with him, loved him unconditionally, and he woke up out of his stupor of sin, and he's gone on to walk with God. Married his little girlfriend that he met at a YWAM school. On and on. Here's the thing. The redemption of God is available to every person. Not just those of us in the room who know him, Perhaps some of you don't know him in this room or don't know him that way as a father and you as a son and a daughter. Maybe you don't know him that way. And I'll guarantee you there's people all over Guilford this morning who may know a religious God, but they don't know this kind of God. That Redemption is an interesting word. It just simply means to buy back something that was lost and restore it to the original owner. That's what God does. So all the stuff that happens is for good. Who can do that? One of the greatest arguments over all of the religions, you know, we're not supposed to argue religions anymore. It's not allowed. Let's do it anyway. <laughs> Left, right, I know. Here's what we get to do. We get to brag on our God. What God sends his son, who dies, who then resurrects, who then says to everybody, I'm not going to give up until I get everything that belongs to me back and I'm going to win your heart. What God looks at people who have done the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst and says, where are your accusers? No longer do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Who does that? Our God. It's awesome. I know this one thing, you guys, about my life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live But, not John Peterson, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not in the faith, but of the faith. His faith in me, in and you. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a love affair, isn't it? Galatians 2.20. It's one of the old standard scriptures. I'm crucified with Christ. Jeremiah 31. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. And thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness. Wow. Even Israel. When I went to cause him to rest... The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness and arms of love, have I drawn you to me. Again, I will build you, and you'll be built, O virgin Israel. You shall again be adorned with the tabrets, and shall go forth in the dances of them that make merry. How many of you want to dance before your father? Be happy. Be fulfilled. Understand the redemption. If you've been in a season of struggling to understand that your past is completely in the hands of God and you're worried 
about your past. It's unresolved for you. And it's affecting your view of the future. I want you to stand up if you can. You need to know this morning the redemption of the Lord. We're going to pray for you. If you struggle with the resolution of some issues in the past that are affecting your faith and hope and joy for your future, I'd like to ask you just to stand where you are. Thank you for your honesty. Way to go, guys. You just put a bullseye on yourselves. Have you know? All about bullseyes. <laughs> Look at this, you guys. Look at your friends now. Look at these people that are standing, these precious ones. Every one of them was born with a destiny in their life. Every one of them didn't know that destiny for a lot of years, or at some point. Some, some, some of you have been unclear that your, even your birth was intentional. It was not a mistake. This past of yours is the well that you draw from as the source of blessing to many people. Because God redeems that well, takes the abuse, takes the pain, takes the loneliness, takes the mistakes, takes all that stuff, wraps it up in his son, gives it back to you and says, now go turn around and minister to the people who need that very thing. So I'd like to just suggest to some of you that are near these standing that we just take a moment and, and lay hands on them and pray just a simple prayer of Jesus, Father, get him. He'll know exactly what that means. To claim your inheritance from the Lord. The birthright. He died to redeem this and give you that deep well to draw from. I silence the false prophets that have been over your life in Jesus' name. That the only voice that will speak louder is the voice of your father saying, I loved you with an everlasting love. With the arms of love, I have enfolded you. Some of you guys have felt an incredible emotional dryness and death. I speak to your emotions to wake up. It is manly to be emotional and to live with those emotions in order by your spirit. Silence the voice of demanding fathers and mothers where achievement was placed above all other things. You can stand on your head and giggle and look like an idiot and you'll be loved by the Father in heaven. Performance is the result of love. Without that love, that performance becomes works. We free you from it in Jesus' name. 